Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Asia Pacific stocks are trading mixed this morning as investors digest interest rate moves in New Zealand and corporate earnings from the US. The Nikkei is trading up more than 1%. Sydney trading higher as well, but Seoul is in the red this morning as investors digest an announcement from the Bank of Korea about interest rates there. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. How's Thursday looking, Ryan Huang? Uh, before we earn our break tomorrow, lots of news to get through. Alright, let's go slow. We begin this morning with an intriguing corporate story here in Singapore. The one that aims to shake up the boardroom at Sabana Reit. 16 months ago, Sabana became the first real estate investment trust in Singapore's history to reject a merger with another company. Now, you may recall that ESR Reit wanted to acquire Sabana, but the activist fund manager Quartz Capital Management did not like the terms. Quartz making waves again. To understand the story, we need to head back to last June when Sabana appointed Chan Wei Kyung to be an independent non-executive director. Chan is a former Credit Suisse trader and hedge fund founder, but ever since Chan was appointed, Quartz has been trying to fire him. Why is that and what does Quartz have against Chan? Yeah, so at the centre of this entire um, dispute is this guy, this former Credit Suisse trader, Chan Wei Kyung. So what is in debate here is his significant unit holding in Ames APAC REIT, AA REIT. So this is something that Quartz is unhappy about because they view AA REIT as a competitor to Sabana REIT. So in that sense, they are calling out, hey, there is a conflict of interest. And because he is director at Sabana REIT, if he becomes um, director of Sabana REIT, he will then be privy to confidential information about Sabana REIT. And then this would then conflict with his interests personally and economically in Ames APAC REIT. So that is pretty much the crux of what's happening here. He said he's only a 5% shareholder and that um, he's not a kingmaker, so to speak. Sabana unit holders, though, will vote on Chan's appointment at the company's annual general meeting this month. Quartz is calling on unit holders to reject two other resolutions that will be tabled at the meeting. One is to stop the REIT from issuing new units. The other is to block the approval of a new distribution reinvestment plan. We find this in a lot of other REITs as well, Ryan. Investors who are not happy with the issuance of new units by a REIT. Remind us, give us a quick primer, why is that? Yeah, most of the time when you have new units, it means your pool of units or shares um, just increases in terms of numbers. And then your profit gets split up into even more pieces. It's like the same pie being cut up into more um, slices. So that is pretty much going to dilute whatever value you have in terms of per unit or per share. So that is the main issue why most shareholders would not be happy with the issuance of new units. Uh, And in this case, Quartz is adding to the conversation here with its um, angle of how Sabana's leverage is at 35% of total assets, one of the lowest among all S-suites. So in this view, it is saying it does not need to raise new units. It can get the funding elsewhere, such as borrowing from other places. Um, This is um, something to, I guess, chew on. Uh, Of course, the flip side to this um, discussion is how interest rates are expected to go up. So it does make borrowing more expensive. So you have the way Would it make more sense economically to borrow or to raise new units 
for the interests of the um, REIT. You can read more about the story in our sister publication, The Business Times. Jude Chan has written a great story about the Sabana saga. I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for more details and will update you as the story evolves. Next, let's turn to US markets where JP Morgan Chase has kicked off corporate earnings season. The investment house is reporting a drop of more than 40% in its first quarter profits. Its CEO, Jamie Dimon, can't be too happy about that. What's behind the drop? Yeah, 40% drop. And this is in many ways linked to what's happening in the wider backdrop in the macro economy. So you have, of course, in the first quarter, the Ukraine war. So that sent jitters to many parts of the world. Businesses just getting a bit more cautious. Um, banks as well. So that led to a drop in deal making. So investment banking revenues declined as we saw a delay in takeovers. In some cases, people just putting off the IPOs altogether. So JP Morgan makes money from these things. So that did not pan out well for JP Morgan. JP Morgan also warning that it could get a bit dicey with some downside risks to the US economy in the foreseeable near term. So it is putting aside more money for potential loan losses to the tune of $902 million. So it is a sign perhaps or what of, of what we can see from the other banks who will be reporting later tonight. Another company whose numbers disappoint is the investment firm BlackRock. It actually made one and a half billion US dollars in the first quarter of this year, but its assets under management dropped. What's the story here? Yeah, very similar tune to what JP Morgan is singing. So it's all around volatility and cautiousness. So that has seen um, some of its fees under pressure because people just staying out of deal making. And this is for now, um, something they are trying to digest to see the implications of what they call a rapidly changing investment environment. So it just kind of signals how cautious uh, BlackRock is starting to sound when you have things like the Ukraine invasion, the supply shock in commodities, supply chain disruptions. So all of that just giving it a bit of a pause when it comes to how bullish is expecting the economy or its business to play out in the coming quarters. BlackRock is warning that its fees going forward could come under pressure due to the volatile markets. BlackRock shares traded relatively flat overnight, but they are down more than 20% since the beginning of the year. Now, next up on this morning's corporate earnings parade is Delta Airlines. The company lost nearly $1 billion US dollars in the first quarter of the year, but its shares and those of other US airlines are surging. Now, why is that? Yeah, here's what shareholders like to do. They like to price in the future. So it's not about what's happened in the past, but what's going to happen in time to come. So they are pricing in that the coming quarters will be better. And this is also what Delta is seeing. Uh, they are saying they expect to return to profitability this quarter. And also, if you look at the trends playing out, people are traveling, revenge travel, because mm. they've been cooped up at home for so long, they want to travel. And, and in this case, um, they are able to, in some cases, hike ticket prices. And they don't expect consumers to pull back as a result of higher prices. So that's going to mean travel spending is going to support airlines in the foreseeable future. While this morning's earnings are a little sour, analysts say overall S&P 500 companies are expected to report earnings growth of more than 10% for the fifth straight quarter. Wall Street analysts have also issued more buy ratings on S&P 500 stocks than at any time since 2010.
Let's zoom out now and take a look at markets. One of the biggest stories impacting investor sentiment this morning comes from down under from New Zealand, where the central bank has surprised the markets. How so, Ryan? Yeah, surprised in the sense of size. So we had the RBNZ. New Zealand Central Bank in action yesterday. Um, by and large, we were all expecting it to hike rates, which is what most developed central banks have been doing. Um, so the RBNZ, according to 21 economists, were expected to hike rates. But only six of them were forecasting a 50 basis point move. So that is double the usual move. So only six of them. So they hiked by 50 basis points. So just adding to the, I guess, picture of how uh, much urgency there is for central banks to fight inflation with Mm. higher rates. So this is the fourth hike in a row. It brings it to 1.5%. So it does look like RBNZ um, is becoming one of the most aggressive central banks um, to kind of normalize policy. And also in the past hour, we've just seen the Bank of Korea also um, slightly surprising market watchers by also hiking its policy. Um, We had six economists expecting them to keep rates unchanged. Only two of them were expecting a quarter point rate hike. And this is something uh, I think investors will be watching very closely what they'll be doing in the quarters to come. And of course, back home this morning, we also had the MAS in action tightening for a third straight row. U.S. investors shrugged off the news overnight, though. The Nasdaq jumped 2%. The Dow and S&P 500 both finished 1% higher. What was driving the buying? Okay, it looks like we are seeing some risk on sentiment coming back into the market. So a couple of things. I would put it down to mostly earnings. Um, This coming through from Delta, um, with them saying they will expect to return to profitability this quarter. So Shares of Delta up over 6%. Airlines like American Airlines, Southwest did well. So as a basket, travel stocks did pretty okay alongside hotel stocks as well. Um, Tech stocks also returned with some um, rebound. Like NVIDIA, which has been losing steam in the past few days, is back up again, 3.3%. Qualcomm as well, up over 3%. And AMD, almost 3% as well. Um, Also, energy stocks are... Outperforming, if you have a look at the oil prices, they are up for a second day in a row. So that was lifting the likes of Occidental Petroleum and the other usual energy names um, were doing well. Uh, On the flip side, financial stocks did not do well because of the retreat in bond yields, now back down to 2.7%. Earlier this week, it was at three-year highs of 2.82%. So that pullback in yields putting some pressure on the share prices of banks on top of the rather cautious um, outlook from JP Morgan adding a bit of a dampener to banks this morning. So something to look out for as we see the results this evening from the US banks again, from the other banks, and as well as how markets in Asia trade for the uh, local banks. I want to bring the conversation back home to Singapore where the maker of the Trace Together tokens, they're a company called iWow Technology. They begin trading today. Ryan, iWow's initial public offering was three times oversubscribed. So how are the company's shares trading this morning? Yeah, wow. Let's take a look. It's um, <laughs> up 27 and a half cents. So not much activity yet. Um, you have it, though, above 
the IPO price of 25 cents. So that's something to go with. Um, maybe not a surprise if you look at the subscription action, it was oversubscribed by three times. So that gives an indication of how much interest there is in this stock. So it doesn't just make trace together tokens. Mm. It's also in the business of IoT devices or Internet of Things devices. So things like smart um, monitoring of your gas or water consumption, also tracking devices for ex-offenders and anyone else you want to track, maybe um, your Who children. do you want to track, right? If you lose your pets, maybe, you know, sort of thing. And also monitoring of the elderly. So you can just imagine all the potential applications that these devices can have. So that's something I think investors are getting a bit excited about. Yeah, keep my eye on the uh, price action for iWow, homegrown IoT provider. On the broader market, Jardine Cycling Carriage led the Straits Times Index higher yesterday. The STI broke a string of losses to finish up one-third of a percent at 33.42. What's the picture like this morning, Ryan? Is the STI adding to the gains or is it giving them back again? All right, yesterday it broke a five-day losing streak and it is extending those gains right now by 0.2%. So pretty much in line the rest of the region, Mm -hmm. uh, just taking over that handover, positive handover from Wall Street. And if you look at where we are on the 30 constituents, uh, it is mostly in the green, only seven counters in the red right now. At the bottom, SGX down by 1.2% and UOB just slightly underwater by 0.03%. 0.03%. Okay, let's take a look at the top of the table. Mm-hmm. Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust is at the top at 1.8%. And you've got Johnny Matheson, Dairy Farm, Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, all up at least 1%. So that's the action right now. Before we go, we have time to discuss a couple more interesting money headlines. First up, some name-calling. It's going back and forth between ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood and a company called Blockchain.com. So Wood thinks that Blockchain.com is overvalued, but the company's co-founder, Nicholas Carey, won't have any of that. Has Carey replied to Wood? He has. So he was pressed for a reply, and here's what he said. He Mm. is pointing to... Kathy Wood's own track record. He says, no, looking at how markets are pricing in her funds, her position is down 50%, whereas blockchain.com is up 3%. So this, he says, no, is just an indication of how the market feels about how valuable or how um, accurate what she's saying is. So it is a bit of a back and forth and it's really tough to call on this one because it depends on your time horizon, you know, how long you're keeping track of these things, and only time will tell who is going to be right. Next up, I want to turn to NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and the potential resale of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. What a disappointment the offers were. It sold for nearly $3 million US dollars last year, you remember, $2.9 million, I believe. The buyer wants to resell it. It's a. It's been a year. I'm sure he wants to make some profit, but how much does it look like he can get for it? Yeah, I think here's a case as well as how the market is sometimes right, and here is how they are pricing the resale value of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. So, like you pointed out, nearly three million is now fetching only six to two hundred and eighty dollars. Only seven offers. So this is a far cry from the. 48 million that the seller is trying to get. So I'm not sure why it should be worth that much 
but the market is at most pricing it at $280. Sina Estavi had taken a punt on this NFT, put $2.9 million, was hoping for $48 million back after a year, and now it looks like his top offer is $280. Ouch. Finally, an item close to my heart, a rare first edition book of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's selling a lot more than that Twitter NFT. I'm very happy to note. <laughs> How much? Yeah, it's being priced at three hundred and sixty thousand dollars so it's a reflection of how i guess art is able to command a price if there is enough demand and people want this book i think there are only um, a limited number of editions the first edition has around twenty thousand plus copies yeah first edition of the 1925 book of f scott's fitzgerald's masterpiece good to see real assets still bringing in the dough thanks very much he's ryan huang i'm michelle martin and this is market view before acting on the information on money fm please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives financial situation and risk tolerance to listen to more great interviews download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app that's a-w-e-d-i-o available on google play or the app store